What's up, everybody? It's good to be back. It's good to get this quick episode out, break a little news, talk about the Sniper Adventure Challenge. We did receive an email probably one or two weeks ago talking about the 2023 Sniper Adventure Challenge being held at a different location and a different time of the year. So what's significant about this is for probably the last, I'd say, nine years, minimum at least nine years, this competition, Sniper Adventure Challenge, has been held in Wyoming. So every Labor Day, you could count on this competition being in Wyoming. You didn't know, uh, it, let me take that back. You did know the location. Um, basically, every three years, they change the location and they move it to somewhere different so that there's no advantage that any one team could garner from having been there, you know, the previous three years. So every three years it changes. Well, this year is the year that it was supposed to change, which is fine. We all expected that. What we didn't expect was that it would be pushed down to Arizona and that it would also be changing dates. So instead of the historical Labor Day weekend, it is now the first weekend of November. So I believe that puts us November 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. So the email and even posted on their website, it says that held at a new private ranch training facility near Benson, Arizona. So I had to look this up. I wasn't really sure. Is it going to be northern Arizona? Is it going to be southern? Because they're each going to be a little bit different in terms of the topography and the weather and how we need to prepare. And that's what this is all about, is now that we have an idea of where the location is, we have to prepare. We have to look at how things are going to be different, how we need to prepare as a team, what things might we bring that we haven't brought in the past. So they also state that you, your partner, undergo tests involving land navigation, practical shooting, long-range rifle, carbine, pistol, field craft, problem-solving, and other related tasks. Two-man teams will be required to navigate 30 to 60 miles on foot to complete the course. So last year was the first year, and I'm not even sure if it happened. But last year was the first year where any team had completed the race. And probably four or five years. It's been that long. So along the way, there will be a series of tasks to gain additional points, et cetera, et cetera, like all of these things. They do say that there may be cheap public asset access permits that are needed for some of the land navigation legs. So I reached out to people. I was trying to gather as much information as possible because when you look for Benson, Arizona, it's southeast of Tucson, Arizona. There's a little town there, but you know the competitions aren't going to be held in a town. So you're kind of looking at like, is it going to be west, south, north, east? Like, where is the actual competition? So I got a little whisper to me that it would be west of Benson, between Benson and Tucson. But I wasn't told on which side of the 10 freeway, north or south. So we're kind of just looking at everything right now. To the north, there's some extreme elevation changes, and to the south, there's more elevation, but it's not as drastic. There's also a national park to the north and to the south, so it could be either one of these locations if we're having to pull permits for some of the land navigations. So if you look at the next slide here, the next photo is going to take us to the just a large overview map. And you can see that I've highlighted a region where Benson, Arizona is. 
And then we'll zoom in a little closer here. You can see that Tucson is on the map. You've got Route 10 there. And then you can see Benson. So Tucson's top left corner of that box and Benson's more of the right side of that box. So somewhere in that area is going to be the location. And I'm guessing that it might be north, but again, I don't know. I'm still trying to get as much information as possible. For the next slide, you look, you see Benson, you see Route 10, you see Tucson, and you can see that large mountain range to the north. It's possible that there could be some land navigation happening in there. Um, and I enjoy land navigation at terrain like this because it's really, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's a lot friendlier to navigate when you have terrain features that really pop out on the map to you. And then here's another zoomed in view. You can see Benson on the right there. And I don't have any boxes drawn. I'm just kind of giving you a lay of the land, right? So this was my initial like area reconnaissance. So then I wanted to start looking at what's the temperature going to be when we're in Wyoming in September. You know, we're dealing with not too bad temperatures. One year we got extremely downpoured on in the rain. And then another year it was really dry. It really affected how we walked, what our blisters and how our feet reacted to the ground. So I just wanted to look at what we're going to be dealing with. And you can kind of see here the average historical temperature, November 1st, 75 degrees. And the low is going to be 61 degrees. So I can deal with that. I feel like those temperatures will be a lot more friendly in terms of how our feet are going to react, how many miles we're going to put on us. And there is one additional change. Last year and the year before, I think the year before, it was a 48-hour competition. You started at night, you finished at night two days later. This year, they're going back to the 36-hour format. So you'll start in the morning, I'm guessing, and you'll push through and you'll finish the following evening. So it'll be a 36-hour format. I'm still going to train like we're doing a 48-hour format. I just, I feel like if we've done 48 multiple years in a row, then if we continue to hold that standard, then 36 should be a drop in the bucket. Now we know what the temperature historically is. Obviously, that can change and that can differ depending on what the year is like. But this is kind of what we have to look forward to in roughly, what, 10 months, nine months? So you can see on this next graph here, the average hourly temperature. You can kind of see that the hottest part of the day is roughly, what, 80, mid 80s between 2, 4, 6 p.m., which is to be expected, right? That's the normal hottest time of the day. And then it starts to cool down to that comfortable zone. And then it gets nighttime. You're starting to look at like cold or cool. So uh, temperature, not a big deal it is what it is, but it'll be nice to know how we need to prepare, how we need to pack for this. The next one is going to be precipitation. What are we looking at in terms of how much is it going to rain? What are the chances of it raining? So you're looking at an 8% historical chance of rain. And when it does rain, right, we go to the next slide here. Next slide. And you can see that they average in November a half inch of precipitation. So there's not, historically, there's not a lot of downfall for uh, rain pour for us to accumulate water or refill. So that is going to be definitely one of the areas we're going to have to plan and prepare for is 
looking at where some natural water sites are and how we're going to procure water because you're not given water during the competition. You're required to find it and, and uh, clean it on your own. Come to the next one. This is sunrise and sunset, kind of looking at nautical twilight, right? So you have sunrise and sunset, but nautical twilight is when you can start to get some visibility. So that's really what I'm looking at. I could see that sunrise is going to be 6.37 a.m. And then sunsets around 5.30 p.m. So roughly 11 hours of daylight. But then you look at the light colored yellow above and below those dark lines. And we have an additional 30, 45 minutes of light that will allow us to see, will allow us to do things. So if sunset is at 5.30, then we're probably looking at a nautical twilight of somewhere around 6 p.m. So let's go with 6 p.m. It'll be close to completely dark. So now here's our next slide. We'll talk about the moon phases. We're getting lucky on this one because the illumination, we will have a 90 85% moon, which is awesome. But then you look to the right where it says moon rise. The moon will rise at 8.32 p.m. The sun and nautical twilight will end sometime around 6 p.m. So we're still going to have two and a half hours of darkness where we won't have the moon to assist us with navigation, with doing challenges, things like that. So that needs to be taken into consideration. Absolutely. 85% um, when you see anything that deals with illumination, like 85% illumination, it doesn't mean that the moon will be you know, 85% bright that night. It's talking about out of total hours of darkness, how many percentages or how many hours will you have moonlight, right? And it gives it to you in a percentage. So over a, what is it? A 14, no, sorry, 13 hour time span, we will have 85% of those 13 hours will be illuminated by the moon. Hopefully the cloud cover will work to our advantage. There won't be any clouds and we should just have a nice big moon in the middle of the night that should help us navigate and walk around in the darkness. Topography. So for pulling up information that would be relevant to us, we want to know what the elevation is so that we can start planning for what do we think the density altitude is going to be? Because this is all going to relate to one how long do we need to acclimate to the area? Should I show up a week ahead of time so that I can get used to the elevation? You know, 3,500 feet is kind of what that town sits at. So I don't feel like it's going to be a huge deal. It'll take a little bit of acclimatization, but it's not like we're going to be at 10,000 feet. So 3,500 feet, we can apply that to how we'll acclimate. But then we want to look at one, it, if you go 50 miles, 50 miles from the town of Benson, and it starts to contain extreme variations in elevation, 7,192 feet. So that's a 4,000 foot difference, right? Or 3,500 foot difference. So there is some areas there where we could find ourselves, you know, really having to pick good routes, conserve energy, you know, plan good good methods of getting around in that area if we find ourselves in one of those big elevation gains. And then the other side is looking at 
what's the density altitude going to be? None of us are going to be there ahead of time. None of us are going to have the ability to zero or we'll, uh, historically we haven't got to check our zero. So you have to show up with a zero. You have to show up with data for your rifle and it can't be, I mean, I guess it could be electronic, but you can't have anything that has a GPS in it. So most of us just take note cards. They weigh lighter. There's, uh, you know, there's not uh, batteries that are required by them. So you have a data card, and I typically just look for what that that average density altitude is, and then I go with that. Right? I'm not too worried about extreme jumps in density altitude. So you can see here with this chart, it's a density altitude chart, and on the bottom it has temperatures, and then on the left hand side it has density altitude. So what you do is you scroll along the bottom to the temperature. So I'm estimating that it will be somewhere around 65 degrees, right? And I can also go 70, but this is going to give me a good idea where it will be. So 65 degrees, you go straight up until you intersect those diagonal lines that match up with your physical altitude. So you can see that I went in between the three and 4,000 for 3,500 feet, and then you follow it directly left. And it's telling me 65 degrees, we will have roughly 4,000 density altitude. Now, if the temperature spikes and it goes to 80 degrees, I would do the same thing. I would follow that line up 80 degrees straight until I intersect with the 3,500 line. And then I go directly to my left, and I see that with an 80-degree temperature, I'm looking at a 5,000 density altitude. So this is information that's going to help me build out my dope card and set my rifle up so that I'm prepared for the shooting stages. And you can see here, this is my rifle in the Ballistic Arc Geoballistics app. So I have the Falcor Hunter. It's a six Creedmoor. It weighs approximately eight pounds, loaded with a scope on it. I'm going to be using the Hornady ELD projectile, 108 grains. My muzzle velocity is 28.95. It's not a it's not a laser beam. Okay, it's just a good shooting rifle. It's factory ammo, and it does what it what I need it to do. So then I look at atmospherics. I put that density altitude in there, 4,000 feet, and I start playing with my wind speed so that I can determine what rifle what wind number my rifle has. I really wanted to look at, will I have a six mile an hour gun? Will it be a seven mile an hour gun? So I got to go into my settings and I have to take out the um, spin drift, the Coriolis effect, all of these other factors that the ballistic calculator will calculate for you. And I strictly just want to know what my rifle's wind number will be. So if I go to the next slide here, you can see that six, seven, eight hundred, they, Tenth mils all line up. So from 100, 200, 300, 400, all the way to eight. Every 100 yards is equal to a wind correction of that same tenth mil. And that's using a six mile an hour wind. So this will be a six mile an hour rifle for me. What's going to work out really well is that Fred, my partner, he will be shooting a 223. And his rifle will be a three mile an hour gun. So as he is engaging targets and he tells me what his mile per hour hold is, I will know that I need to use his three mile an hour and cut that in half 
to get my six mile an hour correction, right? So that should help me because he has unlimited shots at all targets and I am limited to one shot per target. So not only do I need to have a good position and take my time and get my shots off, but I also need to have good wind calls because you only get one chance, baby. So next from that, I don't have any other slides. I'm trying to sit here and click the button. It's not working. So clearly my presentation is over. But I just wanted to get out there and kind of release this statement about the 2023 Sniper Adventure Challenge. It's a passion of mine. I encourage you guys to go look it up, competition-dynamics.com, and just look around their website. You'll see some of the most amazing competitions you have ever seen in the United States, from sniper adventure races to field shooting matches, team matches, matches where you got to run with your partner. And to be honest with you, like when you look at the Sniper Adventure Challenge, there's some of us like myself who are just psychotic about it. We want to go out. We want to win. We want to put forth our best effort, and we want to try and go home with the gold. And we're willing to sacrifice damn near everything to get there. But it doesn't have to be that way. I remember the you know, first few years that I ran it, I was just I was so blown away by everything that you had to do, land navigation, starting fires, survival, medicine, um, you know, close quarters battle. I think we had to fight one year, like wrestle around, like solving puzzles. This is just the ultimate test of your will and your ability to solve problems. So even if you don't cross the finish line, it's just a really good time to get out there and have a partner where you spend 36 hours just laughing about mistakes you made. Let's not do that again. Like, dude, you almost fell off that mountain. Like, it's a lot of fun. I know it's 36 hours. It can be painful, but it's also a really good time. So if you get a chance, go check them out. I hope to see some of you guys at the race. That would be killer. Other than that, I appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you guys subscribe, and I will be back on this and probably. 24 hours with our regularly scheduled weekly podcast. Thank you guys. Catch you later.